All right. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, we're going to flip around a little bit tonight. At some point, we will be in Daniel chapter 2. Um, but if you want to kind of get things ready, Romans chapter, well, we'll see where we go. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for another day, another day to enjoy you, to be enjoyed by you. We give you thanks for a time to come together as a community and to look into your word. Father, I thank you that you meet us by your Holy Spirit, meet us where we are, but you will draw us to where you want us to be. God, would you keep us teachable? And as we dive into a kind of a heavier topic tonight. Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you help me teach accurately with a shepherd's heart, with a desire to see people accept the truth of what you say about our plight before knowing Jesus, that we might be amazed with your grace. God, I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. So I commit myself to you and I commit us to you. Help us to be teachable and humble to receive. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. Here's a heavier verse. And if you've been brought up in the church or had to go through a one, I had to memorize verses. This is one of those verses that's usually memorized. It's out of Romans chapter 3 where it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God or fall short of the glorious standard of God. All have sinned. Every single human being on the planet has sinned. Every single human being who has ever lived outside of Jesus has sinned. I'm guessing that you've heard that, you know that, so this isn't anything new, but have you actually accepted that fact? You say, well, I don't, and, and it's kind of a harder topic. We don't like to talk about harder topics at, at times because it just doesn't make us feel great. But my desire for us tonight is that we'd actually engage it, we'd talk about it, talk through it, so we could see how great God truly is and how amazing His grace is. See, when the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you sit there and go, well, it sounds hopeless. I was going to take this passage later on, but let's go to, let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. You can keep their, your finger there in Daniel if you'd like to. But Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Paul writes this to a bunch of followers of Jesus who live in a city called Ephesus. He says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Guys, this is, this is like chapter two. This is, not, this is maybe almost a third of the way through his letter. The first part is this deep theology where, man, he just kind of gets into some things inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in chapter two, he starts talking about this. He says, you were dead in your sins. For those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, we need to know and we need to be reminded 
that before Jesus, we too were dead in our sins. Dead things don't look for things. Dead things don't move. Dead things don't ask questions. Dead things don't call out to anything. Dead means dead. And so when Paul's trying to think of this word, what's the best way to describe our sin and the effect that it has on us? He's like, you were dead. In other words, you were hopeless. You couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't fix the problem. And when he says following the the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, guys, there's a certain standard that this world lives by. And it's kind of, it seems like this has become the standard. Whatever you want, whatever you feel, whatever you think. We kind of brought this up maybe the first night or the second night. And it's this idea of relative truth or subjective truth. Subjective truth is this. Whatever you believe to be true is true. Whatever I believe to be true is true. If those things contradict, it doesn't matter. You hold to what true is, and I'll hold to what true is. I'll have my truth. You'll have your truth. And then people who actually believe in that think that everyone will just be happy. But what if my truth means I can take advantage of anyone that I want so long as I'm comfortable? But your truth says that I can't. Which one am I supposed to do? Do you see how all of a sudden it just breaks down? We have people in the world, the culture that says, hey, there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's no such thing as right and wrong. Everyone gets to define it by themselves. But here's the problem with that statement. When they say something like, there is no such thing as absolute truth, what they're making is something called an absolute truth statement. To make that statement, there's no such thing as absolute truth, you have to believe in absolute truth. So again, it doesn't work. So if all eight and a half billion people on the planet, if everyone lives however they want to because they think they're allowed to, guys, it's absolute chaos. It's anarchy. There's nothing productive or good that comes from it. Why? Because we are sinful to the core. So when he says before, following the course of this world, the ways that the world works, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the, at work in the sense of the disobedience, that there's a, spiritual, there's a spiritual enemy of God. His name is Satan. He's the devil. And he hates anything that's created in his image. Therefore, he hates humanity because he hates God so much. And his desire is to lead people away and astray away from God, to destroy humanity if he could. But God in his grace stops him. But there's still bad things happening in the world. Why? Because we broke it. We sinned. So here's what happens. All of a sudden, well, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything. Like I'm, a, like I'm, I'm just broken or I made a mistake. Guys, we got to always go back to what does the Bible say? Verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And now here's a hard one, okay? I'll admit it. This, when you read this, you kind of go, dang. This is not a verse that you write in a, in a greeting card, like a congratulation graduation card. I've never seen this one. It's like, hey, let me encourage you with this thought. Just be encouraged by the fact that by nature, you, used, you, you were a child of the wrath of God. Be blessed. Have a happy day. So here, I'll just, use me as my, I'll just use me as the example. Before I surrendered to Christ in August of <laughs> 1991. Shut up. Okay, so <laughs> August of 1991. Over there at Pondy, before I did that, I was by nature an object of God's wrath. 
And we're not used to hearing this stuff because we're told God loves and he does. And God is good and he is so good. And he is so great and he is holy. And he is perfect. Guys, sin is not, oops, I made a mistake, I couldn't help it. Sin is active rebellion and hatred against a holy God. And before I came to know Jesus, before, on that day in August, when I stood in that chapel, three rows back in the pews, when I stood up and said, Jesus, I surrender to you. I surrender my life to your lordship. I give you my life and I thank you for salvation. Before that moment, I was an, I was an object of the wrath of God. But in that moment, I was a recipient of his grace. And I could do nothing to earn it. You could do nothing to earn it. But how did it all start? So keep your finger there if you want to. And I I promise we'll get into Daniel. But go over to Genesis chapter 3. Guys, chapter 1 and 2 is the Bible telling the story of God's creative, his creativity when he created everything. And then you get to chapter three when we all jacked it up. Like, think about it. It took us two chapters. Two chapters for him to create everything. Three chapters for us to destroy it. Here's what happened. And I'm sure if you've been brought up in the church, you know at least part of the story. Verse, Verse one, chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, now stop there for just a second. Friends, that's the exact same thing that the enemy does today. Did God actually say? The sad thing is that I think a lot of people can't answer the question because they don't know actually what God said. But did God actually say? Do you know how many people want to take this book and they want to make you question every part of it? They want to tell you that it's not reliable, even though it is. They want to tell you that it contradicts itself, even though it doesn't. It's like, well, they, they saw a video that was five minutes that just disproves the Bible. And really, in five minutes, he disproved the number one selling book of all time. The book that has changed societies and cultures for the good. That when societies and cultures and people do what the scriptures say, society thrives. It tells a story of a, it tells a story of a God who created everything well. He created it good. In fact, if you go back to chapter, you don't have to go back to chapter one, but if you look at this word in verse 31 of chapter one, it says, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. Guys, that word good in the Hebrew language means this, ready? Good, merry, pleasant, desirable, in order, usable, efficient, friendly, kind, morally good, excellent, happy, and right. So it's not just, he did an okay job. He did it perfect. And here comes the enemy to say, did God actually say? Like, are you really going to believe this book? In other words, don't you need to catch up with the times and think the exact same way that everybody else is thinking? What used to be wrong can be right now. That's what the culture would say. And here comes God saying, here's my standard. God's standard is himself and it's perfection and no one can reach it. So again, it seems hopeless, right? But the ploy of the enemy, did God actually say? Did he really say that? Keep going. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now here's the thing. If you were to look back at what God said in chapter 2, God didn't say don't touch it. He never said that. He said don't eat of it. But I'll be honest, I would throw that rule in there. The only thing is that I cannot ascribe to God or to say, hey, I can't ascribe anything that I say as being a commandment of God if God didn't say it. So I may have an opinion, but if it's not God's standard, I don't get to say God said. But she says, I'm not even going to touch it. So he said, don't eat of it. And he, oh, don't even touch it or we're going to die. And watch the response. The enemy says this. Uh, da, da, da. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What did the enemy call God in that moment? Raise your hand. Don't say it out loud because all of a sudden, if everyone answers at the same time, I hear this. And I don't know what that means. So what did he just claim God to be? What? what? Real loud. I can't hear him. Sorry. Okay. That they would get to know good and evil, but he, call, he doesn't call him by this name, but he's referring to God in this way. Landon? that he's a liar. So you have to come to some conclusion, friends. Is God true or he's a liar? I mean, this is kind of what's brought up. Think about it. They're in perfect relationship, perfect fellowship with God. They know what God said. And all of a sudden, it's like, you're not going to die. In other words, God's holding out on you. Friends, I want to promise you this. God is not holding out on you. Guys, I didn't get to make it over, but I could hear it. What do you want? Slime. When do you want it? And every time, I think it was Katie, every time, it was like, it was like this scream from her bowels. Like it was just so deep. No! It's like, it just, I want this. He said, there go, what are you talking about? Guys, God made fun. And I don't think that God's sitting there watching you guys do that stuff going, I'll see you in chapel. I don't want to be part of that. I think he's sitting there going, I love slime. I love watching my middle schoolers play. I love the fact that they laugh. I love the fact that they can be in community, that they can just be up here where there's not all these distractions that are trying to get them to think that I'm not good, that I'm not great, that I'm not full of joy, that I'm not full of humor, that I'm not funny, that I don't care for them, that I'm not perfect or amazing or gracious or forgiving or merciful. I love that they're here playing with me. Because who created the concept of play? God. So think about it. How often might you, either you've experienced or you will, have someone walk, a friend walk up and say, you're a Christian? Why would you do that? You don't get to, you don't get to do, and at some point when you, de when you deem that Jesus is worth it, all of a sudden you sit there and go, I don't want to do that. I'd rather enjoy life and what God intended it to be rather than settle for what everyone else has settled for. It's kind of like this. Um, when our boys were, well, Tyler was, Tyler's first birthday, uh, and my wife is huge on birthdays. I mean, there is a birthday party for everything, and there's a theme. And I'm just sitting there going, I know there's a birthday. I don't know how to help you after that. I mean, so there's just a theme every year. She loves birthdays. And I've been to enough birthdays for one-year-olds 
And I've realized something throughout the years. The one-year-old birthday party is more for mom and for dad, more for mom than it is for the one-year-old because they have no clue what's going on. I mean, all of a sudden, they're in like a new outfit. They don't care. They don't even know. They're just sitting there. They're going, okay, I'm still uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, people show up, and they have all these presents, and you're holding the little one and one-year-old, and they're kind of greeting everyone, having no clue. They just see boxes and stuff and people walking in. And they have this whole party and people are eating the little one-year-old's just eating the normal little finger food, but we all have Taco Man, so it doesn't seem fair. And we're all enjoying it. They're just sitting there having carrots. It sucks. But there they are doing their thing. And then it's time for that one moment they've never experienced before. Do you know what it is? Cake. For a year, they've just had that same stuff. And it's weird. Like they're fully clothed until it's cake time. And then they're half naked. It's like fully clothed and in diaper. Guys, they don't do that when you get older. That's not the birthday norm. It's not like, hey, cake time. All right, let's just sit in our chonies. Like it doesn't happen. But when you're one, that's normal, right? So you put the one-year-old in the high chair. You bring out the cake. Mom's bringing out the cake. Dad's got to do video. She's taking pictures or vice versa. You got to make sure both are happening. The paparazzi are all out. Everyone has their camera ready to go to watch a one-year-old eat cake. <laughs> Guys, I guarantee that in June when I turn 50, no one's going to sit there and go, wait, wait, wait. Let's get our cameras. He's getting ready to have cake. <laughs> Nobody cares. But for a one-year-old, oh, this is the memory. This is the memory. So you just, and it's almost like you lay it down like it's a grenade. It's like, oh. Just watch, watch. And then the kid feels like they're in the zoo. So they're just sitting there, just looking around, more comfortable because they're just in their chonies. And all of a sudden, they see this thing. They start playing with it, touching with it. Like, <gasps> mom's got little tears coming down, which is kind of cute. Dad's like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the moment. And they put their finger in, and then they taste it. And then <clears throat> their eyes are like, <gasps> And I wonder if at some point that little one-year-old looks at the parents and goes, I thought you loved me. Why did you keep this away from me for so long? So all of a sudden, it's one finger, then one finger, and then a scoop. And they're like, and then there's two scoops. And then it's this. So bam, and they just stick their face right in. People are like, that is so cute. That is so precious. That is so precious. Guys, if I did that with my soup at Chili's, no one would sit and go, that is so precious. And then it's time to open presents, right? So everyone pulls out their presents. It's all wrapped nice. And you, and you, <laughs> you put it in front of the one-year-old. And they're looking at it. And they'll touch it. And they'll try to do stuff with it. But they can't really. They're not thinking tear it apart. They've never done this before. Maybe Christmas if it's close to their birthday. So they start to kind of get that. So everyone's helping them. Look, look. Ah. So they see the gift. And then they play with the paper. One after the other, one after the other, one after the other. Here's the thing. If I walked up to a one-year-old at that party and I gave that one-year-old a choice, I said, here's a $100 bill or here's a can of soup, which one do you think he or she would pick? Can of soup. Who says can of soup? Guys, I guarantee 100 times out of 100 times. Why? Because this is paper. Guys, I'm going to be honest. If I, see a, if I see a $100 bill next to a kid, 
I might push the kid out of the way to grab the $100 bill. <laughs> Not hard, gently, gently lean them over. But why does the kid want this can of soup? Because you can roll it, you can play with it, you can pound it, you can throw it at mom, she freaks out. Like all these things can happen. But it's a, it's a toy, it's something you can do, you can make noise. Friends, when we pull back and you look at the value of it though, this is worth what? Buck and a half? Depending on what it is. This is $100. And here's my question to some of you that I think needs to be applied to those who are trying to get you to do what everyone else is doing and not do what it is that God wants you to do, experience the life that God wants you to experience. My question to you is how many of you are settling for the can of soup because it's shiny and it flickers and it's fun, all the while missing out on that which is truly valuable, that God actually wants to give you something of value and you're just settling for anything quick. And I promise you this, sin will lead you to destruction. Sin will destroy you. Guys, it is so serious. And so when you have it in this passage, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation is this, you could become like God, but also, hey, God's holding out on you. Trust me more than him. Next part. So, when the woman saw that the tree was, here's justification number one, good for food, and that it was two, a delight to the eyes, and three, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, three justifications. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Guys, the command was, do not eat from this tree. And so a lot of people have come up with that question that people think, ah, oh, you just can't answer it. Why did God create that one tree, like that one shiny, glittery tree? Why not just make it? Guys, I don't think there was a special tree. I think he just picked one. And I think he picked one so that it would move us to a place if I want to obey and follow and worship you rather than just create a bunch of robots who'll just do what he says. Guys, God didn't create people and he didn't create creation because he needed anything. He was never lonely. Everything was created to make him look amazing. So all of a sudden, God says, don't eat. And they came up with three reasons as to why they could disobey. And don't we kind of do the same? God says, I don't want you to do this. And so we'll find some friends around us who agree that we can. And if somebody disagrees, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Then you keep going after those friends. So long as you get enough people on your side, then you can stand before God and say, see, we can do it as if God's like, I didn't think of that. All the while, God's sitting there going, what I say is always true and right. And when you disobey, you sin. Look what happens. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. That is the most awkward realization in the history of the world. Which is a little weird part of the Bible, right? Like there's no such thing as clothing. They just run around naked. Now here's the thing. <laughs> like what, what, did it, what did it look like? Like they're just sitting there going, we're going to eat. Like they have no clue what's going on. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, what the, what, what is this? And guess what they did? Watch what they do afterwards. Watch, watch. Because this is the exact same thing that we do. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made them so his loincloths and they ran. 
Like they covered their sin and they think that they use leaves. Like they let's get some leaves and make some, we'll call them clothes. Leaves. Guys, leaves dry out. That is not the most comfortable thing to make clothing out of. Just grab some leaves and just put it on. And when God shows up in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Guys, this is the first time they felt what? Shame. Shame. There was no shame before this. Guys, there was no insecurity before this. Who here struggles with insecurity besides myself? Right? And even as you raise your hand, you're like, did I do it right? I'm not sure if I did it right. Like insecurity just kind of plagues us, right? And all these thoughts of insecurity start to hit and we start to believe them. Guys, there was none of that before. There was no shame. They run from God, which is what many, maybe, maybe, maybe many of you are doing or have done because you like your sin. Guys, be honest. Sin can be fun. Let me be honest. Are you really tempted by things that aren't fun? No. Like, I've never sat there and said, God, could you pray for me? Like, I just really want to throw my head through a window. Like, I really feel it. I really feel it. I've never had that. That's not the temptation that hits me. We want to be t- we're tempted by the things that are fun. But friends, at some point we have to realize fun is settling for a can of soup when I can experience life and what God intended. And when I obey God, fun is thrown into it. But some of you guys are running from God, the one who actually wants to save you, the one who actually wants to give you life, the, one that, the only one who can save you and can give you life. And you're running from him because you're ashamed goes on. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Oh no. Guys, have you ever said something in front of your parents? You're trying to hide something from them. And all of a sudden you said one phrase and you watch their face go, wait, and, that, and then your heart does what? It sinks down to your feet. You're like, Ugh. they're like, wait, 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 wait. What did you just say? Oh, I didn't say anything. I didn't, I didn't say anything. Guys, all, I mean, Adam's just explaining what's going on. We realized we're naked, so we hid. He's like, well, hey, 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 who told you we're naked? Uh, um, and here comes Adam. What a good guy. Where is it? Verse uh, Verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, here it is, what a husband. The woman. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you cheering for? Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 wait. I have no clue why you're cheering. Here's the thing. Wait, wait, wait. I'll be straight up honest. Okay, gentlemen, for those of you who are sitting there going, yeah, I'm going to be straight up honest. That is not a man. And at some point, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to be straight up. Wait, wait, wait. Wait up. Boys, little boys, at some point you will grow up and become men, but it's not right now. And it's obvious. 
church. And it's obvious because of the way that you responded. Here's the truth. Here's what he did. He blamed the woman. The woman that you gave to me with me, she gave it to me and I ate. He blamed her and blamed God. Didn't he? The woman you gave to me. And for some of you, that's honestly what you think justifies you before God. It's not my fault. You made me. This is how I think. This is how I feel. These are the things that I want to do. It's not my fault. You did it. We do the same thing. Nothing's changed, friends. He blames the woman and ultimately just blames God. And then God goes to Eve and says, what did you do? And she blames the devil. And God doesn't even ask the devil a question. He just looks. And then God curses the devil. And God curses the woman. And God curses the man. He punishes just like he said he would. Why? Guys, if God is just, he has to punish sin. He has to. And so he says, I told you this is what was going to happen. And he followed through with it. Now, friends, can you imagine if that's where the story ended? If that's where it, was, if that's where it stopped? You take this and you go to Ephesians chapter 3. By nature, we were object of God's wrath. Like, we are dead in our sin. It's impossible. We can't do anything. And it's because we broke it. Friends, there's sin in the world because we're sinners. We're not sinners because there's sin in the world. There's sin in the world because we're sinners. We brought it. We messed everything up. Guys, the weight of it should be on us. We should get it. Oh, man, that is sin. It's ugly, and it's heavy, and it's against God. And friends, it deserves to be punished. When we look at the life of Nebuchadnezzar, I know there's a point I actually, when we were watching the, the play, uh, all of a sudden some were cheering for Nebuchadnezzar. I'm like, really? Like he's, okay, you don't, know, you don't know the whole story yet, but okay, we'll figure it out as we go. Guys, this is the guy that wanted to make sure that every, remember we talked about it last night? Everyone has to worship what I set up or I will throw you into fire. This is who he was. Guys, he was psychotic. He was a killer, a murderer with all power. In chapter 2, he has this dream. Remember that part in the, in, the, in the play? Remember that in the performance where he says, I had this dream and I want you to tell me what the dream was and what it means. Guys, no one could ever guess that. You ever had a dream and then wake up in the morning going, what the heck was that? Like you're all seeing, you're just kind of playing in a park and you're swinging on a swing and you're being chased, chased by pepperoni. It's like, it's so weird, just kind of like weird stuff. And, and then you sit there going, you know what that means? And it's like, it doesn't mean anything. It means I had pizza last night. So I don't know what it means. But here comes Daniel saying, here's what the dream is. And he knows it word for word, paints the picture perfectly. Nebuchadnezzar's blown away. And then he says, and this is what's going to happen. And pretty much in that dream, God was revealing to Nebuchadnezzar a person who was against him, didn't believe in him, thought he, actually, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he had conquered this God. But God was revealing to him 600 years worth of history that was coming. Which nations would be in power? And ultimately, that there would come this quote-unquote Messiah. 
Daniel explains it. This is what it means. When you see, when you see Nebuchadnezzar's statement after this, in chapter 2 of Daniel, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it real quick. King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. He fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel, not to God. He paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, listen to these words because they sound amazing. Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of God, I'm sorry, Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. Man, that sounds incredible. But the only problem is this. He paid homage to Daniel and he said, your God is this, not my God is this. Guys, belief in God, the Bible actually says this, demons believe in God and they shudder. They're terrified. Guys, believing in God, most of the world believes there's a God. It's what do you do with him and is it the right God? Guys, in chapter three, we broke the whole thing. And because of that, death entered into the world. And every single negative thing we see going on Guys, that, we brought that. But it's also in chapter three we see the remedy. Guys, look at chapter three, verse 21, I think it is. Ready? This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It's one of my favorites. You're like, man, you need a life. Probably. But I really like this verse. You know why? because it showed the remedy. Think about it. Here's Adam and Eve standing in there in their, <laughs> in their leaf clothing, <laughs> just trying to do it. They're going to move on, whatever it means. And God looks at them and says, no, this isn't good enough. So God initiates. By his grace, he makes clothing. But he makes clothing out of what? It says garments of skin. That comes from a animal. So here's the thing. How do you get the skin from an animal. You have to do what to the animal? You have to kill it. So now, think about it. You kill an animal, blood sheds, right? You take something that was innocent because of the sin of people who were guilty of their sin, something innocent had to die so that they could be covered. Guys, you realize that in the same chapter we broke it, God says, this is how I'm gonna fix it. Guys, it's mind-blowing. I'm going to fix it. Guys, when we go back to Ephesians, we'll start to land the plane. Ephesians chap go back to Ephesians chapter 2. When we look at the fact that we're dead in our sin, we can't save ourselves, you get to that last part, which kind of makes you just feel like you're losing all hope. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then verse 4, is anybody there? You see verse 4? Ephesians 2 verse 4, who's there? Anyone can read those first two words for me really loud? What's one more time? Whoever said it, say it again. But God. But God. Guys, that is massive. Here's the problem. We can't fix it. We're dead. We're objects of God's wrath. But God. But God. This is who we are. This is what we have to offer. Nothing. We can't fix it. We can't save ourselves. We're not even looking for him. And while we are in sin... God. God steps in. 
Look at what it says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses or sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show, listen to this, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Guys, what's grace? Because it's immeasurable. God's grace is immeasurable. But what is grace? Grace is this. Getting something I don't deserve. What does it look like? Guys, my birthday. You know who deserves the presents? Mom. She did all the work. I just showed up. Youth workers who are moms, you know that you're sitting there going, amen. Amen. But no mom's going to sit there and go, don't give my kid a present. Why? Because moms want to show grace to their kids and say, you can have it. It's your day. Guys, I don't deserve it. Mom did all the work. I just showed up. Look at verse 8. For by grace, I don't deserve it, but God gives it. By grace, you have been saved. That word saved is also the word rescued. Guys, when I was a youth pastor, we went on a, a, a beach camp out. And I'm not a big camper. I don't like camping all that much, but the kids want to do it, so we'll do it. So we're the, the night, we're all sleeping in the tents, and then the next day we go out to the beach, and, um, and a group of them said that they wanted to go swim. I said, absolutely, go have a blast. But I didn't sleep well that night, so I, I fell asleep on the beach for like an hour. And I was, I was thankful, because when I woke up, I wasn't buried. Like, I honestly thought if I fell asleep... They're going to bury me, and I thought, I don't even care. I'm so exhausted. What matter? It doesn't matter. Because it's weird how if, if the youth pastor or youth worker falls asleep and you're not asleep, they're the target of your wrath. And so <laughs> it's like, I thought when I woke up, I was fine. But then I thought, I better find these kids. I don't know where they are. They weren't with the rest of the crew. And so I just went for a walk. And then as I'm walking, looking for the students, I'm looking around. Not too long after, after I started walking, I, I, I see this massive lifeguard speedboat flying lights and siren going crazy no joke it banks hard left and three lifeguards jump off the end like perfect swan dives and i'm sitting there going am i on tv like and now i don't even i forgot about the students i'm just looking going this is amazing the trucks are flying in lights and siren they jump out they're running into the ocean the lifeguards stand the people in the lifeguard stands they're taking off in the water and then i see these eight little heads and i went Oh, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I was terrified. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Those are mine. I started looking around going, oh, what am I going to say? Guys, they had no clue what was going on. They had no clue. They're just sitting there having a blast and life, all of them are just chasing these kids. And then they're bringing them in one by one. And the kids loved it. They loved it, especially the girls, because there was this hot Australian lifeguard. I tell, I tell, I, I, honestly, this is the guy. Like, it's like, no joke. Like, the girls were all just giggly, and, and I'm just sitting, and he's, and he's got that cool accent, and he's like, they're in a riptide, and I'm like, a rip, okay, I don't know what a riptide is. And he says it's pretty much the ocean's version where it sucks you out to eat you. But you have no clue it does it slowly by slow, just slow, 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 until all of a sudden you realize where you are, then you can't swim back because you're not strong enough, and it just eats you. He said that's what they got caught in. They had no clue 
It was just subtle. Friends, that's sin. You have no clue. It's subtle, and you drift. And the ultimate end of it is death. But what does the Bible say that Jesus did? What did God do? For by grace you have been saved. You've been rescued. By grace you've been saved through faith. I think everyone in here, most, almost everyone, every single one of you are practicing faith right now. You know what you're doing? You actually came in, you thought, this seat will hold me, and you sat down. Here's the equation for faith. Faith is belief plus action. Guys, if you say you believe something, but you don't act upon your belief, it's not faith. So when you sat there, it's like, I believe this chair will hold me, and you sat down, there's faith. Here's the thing. Has anyone ever broken a chair that belonged to somebody else? I hate that. I've done it twice. <laughs> On the same night. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Again, I don't know why I'm at the beach because here I am. So it's a beach trip. I don't, I, don't remember the I don't remember the group, but I remember I was just standing. I didn't bring a chair. I think I was guest speaking for something really small. And they said, and a person came. They're so gracious. They walked up. You can use my chair. And I looked at it. Now at the time, I was about 40 to 50 pounds heavier than I am now. And, and so I was like, oh, maybe they know it'll hold. Maybe it's like a special chair. And so I sat down in it, and I'm just chilling out, and they're singing, and all this, bam, I'm on my back, feet are up in the air. And I'm like, well, this sucks. And so then they're helping me up, and they're like, oh, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. And they say, let us get you another chair. And I'm like, please don't. <laughs> and no joke, they brought a chair that looked exactly like the other one. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, are you kidding me? They said, please, please sit, please. I said, no, it's okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. Please sit. And they just kept pushing me into it. I'm like, okay, okay. So I, I kind of sat. I think like 7% of my weight was on it because 93% was on this leg. So I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden it starts to shake and I'm sweating like crazy. Guys, I have, I have the sweat pores of quarters. It's just, I sweat like crazy. I'm sweating like crazy and I'm like, I can't do anymore. Maybe they'll hold me. Bam, I'm on my back. Done again. I get up, I said, no more chairs, I'm fine. <laughs> Guys, they believed it would work, it didn't. <laughs> Faith is this, I believe this, therefore I'll act upon this. Guys, if there's no action, there's no faith. Belief plus action is faith. Now watch what it says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. What is this that he's talking about? This is not your undoing. It is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Faith. Faith is the gift of God. So think about it. Faith, which is necessary for me to enter into relationship with God, is provided by God. It all starts with Him. It starts with grace. It ends with grace. It starts with faith. It ends with faith. It's all about Him. Because I'm dead in sin without Jesus, I can't save myself. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works. Friends, you can't do enough good things to make yourself right with God. Guys, you aren't saved by what you do. But what, what, but what you do will show that you have a relationship with God. But you're not saved by those things. You can't. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And that last verse in that section, and this is where we'll finish. 
Followers of Jesus, I want you to understand this. For we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. Ladies, for just a second, can I talk to you? Ladies, listen. There's all this pressure on you. You need to look a certain way, speak a certain way, be a certain way. All these images that portray this is what you're supposed to be like. And for some of you, you compare yourself with those photos and images that have been photoshopped to look perfect. And what you do is you compare yourself to something that's not real, and you think that you're imperfect. Maybe for some, I'm not saying all, but for some this is a struggle. That when you see yourself in the mirror, you see, you see the blemish or the blemishes. And my prayer for you is this, that you would see yourself as the masterpiece of the creator. That you would start with what he thinks of you, what he says of you. For God has never said oops. He's never made a mistake, ever. He created you perfect. The way you are, the, the way that you're perfect. Now our sin, he didn't create our sin. I'm talking about when you look at yourself, you don't see the miraculous of God. But when I look in Scripture, in Psalm 139, that God is the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And gentlemen, this is the same for you. You're going to grow up, you're going to start comparing yourselves with other guys. But maybe, maybe some will struggle with that. You'll still see the same thing in the mirror, all the blemishes, you wish you could have this or be more muscular this or... Then we'll say, I wish I had more abilities that I could do these things. And I want to encourage you, gentlemen, the same thing that I just spoke to the women, the young ladies here. If you could see yourself the way that God sees you as the masterpiece. When he says you're his workmanship in Christ, it means you're saved. Ladies, you're his masterpiece. Gentlemen, you're his masterpiece. Please do me a favor. Ignore the lies of the enemy and long to, hear the, long to hear the words of encouragement of a father who loves you and who puts you together. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Guys, we get to live a life where we get to do good. Like we could wake up every day and go, God, what are we doing today? Not so we can be saved, but because we are for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus. But what has to happen before that, there has to be an acknowledgement of sin. That before I came to Christ, I was a sinner. And even now that I know Christ, I still struggle with sin, but I'm free not to sin. But guys, we have these appetites that go against what God wants. It's in Galatians chapter 5. The flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. The spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. There's this battle. It feels like there's this battle inside of us. And what will you do and what will you choose? And it, now it'll come back down to that one question. You remember the one question? Is Jesus worth it? He's worth it. But friends, when we understand the weight of our sin and how sinful we are, God's grace becomes so amazing. But what we need to do with sin 
is repent from it. When you look at Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 4, it sounds like he did, but he didn't. Isn't it weird in chapter 2? Oh, sounds like he had this, ma- this incredible come to Jesus moment, but in chapter 3 is when he makes it an idol, which is pretty much an idol of himself that others have to worship, and if you don't do it, he's ready to murder people. I would say that there hasn't been a lot of life change that's happened. Chapter 4, same thing. Or and it, chapter 3 and chapter 4. And then you get to, when you get to the end of chapter 4, the middle of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's sitting there going, look how amazing I am. Look what I've done. I'm like, that doesn't sound like you repented. Repent means this. I'm going one direction. What's repentance? Go the other direction. For some of you say, Brian, I was brought up in a Christian home. That means I'm a Christian. No, it doesn't. Doesn't mean that at all. Brian, I go to church. That means I'm a Christian. Okay, that's cute. That's like saying that when you walk into a McDonald's, you turn into a Big Mac. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Guys, growing up, I didn't get to, I didn't get to stand by with my parents before God and say, I'm with them. No, it's just me and God. God's going to look at me. And the question is going to come down to this. What did you do with my son? Guys, without Jesus, you pay for your sin. With Jesus, he's paid for it. But we have to understand the weight of our sin. We are sinful before a holy God and we deserve the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy, having immeasurable grace, but maybe for some of you, like you just kind of need to deal with some things. For those of you who own Jesus, maybe you've been living in this sin, kind of rebelling from God, and you need to repent. Others of you, you don't know Christ, and maybe this is something that's kind of new and kind of heavy. You need to deal with that and think through that whenever that, is for, whenever that happens for tonight. Guys, I know it's a heavy topic. I do. I know. And I pray, God, would you help me to be pastoral in it? loving and caring, but to be direct and straightforward and honest. Because I, I think you deserve it. Guys, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Can I pray? I know it's a weird way to end, but can I pray for us as we kind of think through this? Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you're not afraid to tell us the truth. Thank you that you stated in, our, in your word. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us what's true and what's not, what's our plight, what's the problem. Thank you that you're patient with us. But God, you are holy. And in your holiness, in your righteousness, you have to punish sin. But God, I pray that you would help us feel the weight of sin that we could actually truly appreciate more and more the grace of God and what it is that you did. But in this moment, God, help it to sit. Help it to settle a little bit so we can kind of deal with some things. God, in all of this, we love you and we thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you.